Good morning. It's good to be with you. I feel like I should introduce myself. Hi, my name is Adam Schertz, and I am the past one of you know the senior pastor here. Uh, I've been out of the pulpit all of July up to this point, uh, and you know there comes a point where you just kind of know when you need to take a rest and uh, have Sabbath. And I'm so grateful for the chance to do that and have um, have have tried to take advantage of that time, and then have been gone on vacation for a couple weeks. Um, so um, I hope you will have the chance to have some Sabbath uh, either you've had or will have this summer or coming up. Um, but I thought maybe, I, you know, you might want to see a few pictures of my time away just so you could see uh, what we've been up to. So we had some sunsets at the beach, which was really great. And then some sunrise mornings, or you can see how awake I look in that picture. Uh, sunrise with Sarah Grace in the, uh, on the beach. And then some time, uh, four of us of the five of us were together, uh, and that's in Charleston. And then uh, a few days with Luke uh, in the trout stream, which is good. And then, of course, if I'm going to show you trout fishing pictures, I'm going to show you that I caught some fish. So there you go. Not to brag. They were this, mostly this big, you know. So I also want to express my appreciation for the preachers who have preached throughout July and who have kept our series on the life of David going. We're spending 10 weeks uh, this summer in David's life, and I'm going to miss the David hype song that, you know, that we just heard, you know, the little bumper video before the summer. I'm going to miss that. Uh, maybe we should play that, you know, in the mornings that we get to kind of get us going each day. Uh, but we are coming to the end of that series. Next week will be the last of those uh, sermons in the life of David. And so we're coming to today to the end of David's life, actually. And the passing of the leadership baton from King David to King Solomon. And with that, the whole idea of legacy. And so as we hear the scripture and we hear their story, we're going to try to kind of along the way put ourselves into that framework. Uh, it's a chance to really kind of take a step back maybe and see our lives in the larger picture of things, which we don't always get to do. Uh, and uh, to see some of the lessons uh, from them that we can apply to us. So this is from 1 Kings chapter 2. When the time drew near for David to die, he gave charge to Solomon, his son. I am about to go the way of all the earth, he said. So be strong, demonstrate your maturity, and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and commands his laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go, and that the Lord may keep his promise to me. If your descendants watch how they live and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. Then David rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David. He had reigned 40 years over Israel seven years in Hebron and 33 in Jerusalem. So Solomon sat on the throne of his father, David, and his rule was firmly established. I wonder how often we think of ourselves from this perspective, from the rearview mirror perspective, to think about our legacy. Someone has said that we should all strive to be good ancestors. But I wonder how many of us start out thinking in those terms to live in a way that, are, that has a positive impact on the generations that are going to follow us and to find ourselves in this great chain of passing on a legacy from one generation to the next. I wonder how often we think like, like that, really. 
And some of the reasons maybe we don't, because we don't like to think about death, and we kind of, you know, push that off, and it seems like a sort of a morbid topic or something that, you know, maybe is a little heavy for 9.58 on a Sunday morning. You know, maybe I should have asked you to get another cup of coffee today. Uh, But the truth is, the sooner we begin to think about this uh, life in those terms, the better, I think. And most of us probably don't start out thinking about our legacy, but we should. And it doesn't have to be a morbid thing. It can actually be a pretty empowering thing for us. One way of thinking about it is most of us go about the first part of our lives trying to write our resume. And the list of things that goes on a resume uh, basically reveals a, a certain set of values that we have. And the things that we would put on our resume are our marketable attributes, our productivity, our capacity, the gifts that we bring, the, the experience and uh, the pro, the things we can produce. Uh, but the last thing that people read about us will not be our resume. will be another list of things that people put together about us. Some people write their own, by the way. That's a fun little experiment on the internet to go and see what people have written about themselves or funny and irreverent uh, obituaries. It's not really, that's just a sidebar. But, but most of us will have something written about us by the people we love looking at our lives in the rearview mirror. And that actually tells us, so there maybe there's some overlap with the resume list, but there's actually another set of, of things that will be talked about, another list of values. And so the question is, which one are we, which list are we making? Sort of kind of go into life maybe making that resume, but I think we should be thinking about what will be said about us in our, our obituary. And the sooner we start writing our obituaries, the better. That sounds morbid. But, you know, I'm actually, um, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of times, time around um, death and dying. I've, I've, since I was 18, I've sat with people after a loved one has passed away. And there's something in that experience that I thought maybe we'd be worth talking about and bringing uh, in, into the conversation today. Because in those conversations, it, things get real. People talk about real things. And I, and, and I think it's important for those conversations to happen. And, it's one of the kind of gifts of processing that happens between someone's passing and a funeral. Um, and in fact, I would challenge people to go to funerals. I think there is maybe a you know, reluctance to do that. Again, maybe we kind of don't know how to act or don't know what to say. But I would say not only go to funeral visitations, but to funerals themselves. Because when someone's story is told, um, there's, there's a lesson there. There's always, there's always a lesson. And I'm an advocate for taking children uh, to funerals. You know, there's a sort of, you know, age appropriateness to that. But I think children should know that we don't live forever. We all should know that we don't live forever and should hear the stories about people's lives that shape their understanding, their worldview from that perspective. We should not avoid this conversation, but actually recognize that it is a part of life. And so I've been doing that for a long time. And I can tell you some of the things that people say and people don't say as a summary of those conversations. I can tell you that people never say about their loved one. They never say they spent too much time with their family. They're just not going to. It's just the opposite. They talk about those times that were important. They never say their relationship with God is actually no big deal. And we kind of live like that, but they never say that. They never say, I'm glad they threw their life away on the things that aren't important. I mean, like, what we live for matters is another way of saying that. 
And, you know, truthfully, almost every time, it's sort of like what we've been saying about King David, you know, if we're honest, you know, we don't want, you know, you don't want your, the preacher to have to lie at your funeral, right? Have you heard that? Uh, if we're honest in those moments, then what we're going to find is that we're going to have to navigate co some complexity in life. There is going to be part of each of our stories that has to do with the challenges and the obstacles and the failures that we have dealt with and somehow incorporated into the fuller story of our lives. And in those conversations, uh, in almost every, almost every time we end up talking about that, how someone dealt with brokenness or how they dealt with their failure or challenge or how they found their own unique relationship with God. And sometimes people talk about that like it's an odd thing. Like, well, they had their own kind of unique, it was different than maybe you might expect relationship with God. I feel like that's probably the norm. Each of us has to do that, navigate the path and find our own way to walk with God. Recently, we celebrated the life of a man in our church who had overcome alcoholism and had spent uh, the last half of his life in recovery, working actively the recovery process. And he was very public about that. He was very open and honest uh, from the get-go with his family about that and in the wider community and was active in the recovery of other people's um, story um, through that. And um, so the last person at his gravesite, again, this is a perspective that sometimes I might get that, that others wouldn't, the last person to leave his graveside was his granddaughter. As we think about the people who will be around in those moments for us and the people that we're passing our legacy to, this was his granddaughter, and she asked if she could come and pull one of the yellow roses out of the funeral spray. Well, that is not an uncommon request. That happens a lot. And so I said, sure, no big deal. And it, you could tell it was very, very meaningful for her. And so as she walked away, she kind of came back to some of the, we were both kind of walked up to some of the other family members. And uh, her mom actually said, well, you should tell the pastor why that's so important to you. And so she did. She said, Grandpa quit drinking the day I was born. And every day of my life, my birthday was his sober anniversary. And every birthday of my life, he sent me a yellow rose. That's, in fact, why they had chosen that color for his funeral spray. And so he would say to me, um, you helped me choose a different life, a different path. David was remembered by those who loved him as a man after God's own heart, even though he had a recovery story too, and we all do. This is not a matter of getting it all right. This is not a matter of looking at our lives and, and, and being down our, on ourselves because we haven't got it all together. David is a perfect example of having a legacy through a lot of complexity. But as his family, his loved ones, looked at his life from the rearview mirror, they, they called him a man after God's own heart. And it becomes the legacy that he passes on to his son, Solomon. Now, the passing of this baton was not without its messiness. David's story and ours is complex. And so if you want to read 1 Kings 1 and 2, you're going to see that the, the, the path between David and Solomon was a little bit kind of um, meandering uh, with some palace intrigue. David is frail, and so everybody's sort of vying for power. And his son Adonijah makes a grab for the throne, and he has some military backing. But uh, the prophet Nathan and Bathsheba plot, and they go tell David about it, and Solomon becomes king. 
And that is a really odd kind of course of events, especially when you think about how the first two kings of Israel come to being. Because what we find in that story of Solomon becoming king, Solomon, who is widely recognized as you know, one of, if, you know, maybe the greatest king of Israel, and it kind of goes south after him. Uh, but God's not mentioned in that story in 1 Kings 1 and 2. God's part is not so clear. And that's really weird because when King Saul was anointed king, the first king, and when King David was anointed king, the second king, God drove the process. God was the one showing Samuel, the prophet, where to go, who to pick, picking not this one, but this one. It was very much God had a hand in all of that. And with Solomon, we don't see that. And so this tells us something, I think, about how legacies work. It's not that God's not involved. But Solomon's not the start of this. When the monarchy is being established with Saul and with David, God's establishing something. But with Solomon, God is sustaining something. Solomon's not starting at zero. This is how legacies work. Our kids, our grandkids, hopefully will not be starting at zero. We will hand them something. And David handed Solomon something. God's blessing to Solomon in many ways comes through his dad. And that's how it should be. That's how legacies work. Our understanding of ourselves is that we are blessed by God to be a blessing to others. But the thing to maybe to recognize is that that blessing or not will be most intensely felt by our kids, by our families. Sometimes when I talk about being blessed to be a blessing, I think about the world, you know, out there, you know, sort of spread out in broad terms and my contribution or my work or my productivity. Yes, but the most profound way that blessing will be felt or not felt will be with those closest to us. And this is the hope that our lives would be blessed by God so fully that we naturally pass on a blessing to those who follow us. And that, is, that thing is almost indescribable. It is, a, it is a gift. Like We know that if a kid has a grandparent involved in their life, that there's just something that that, that child gains that's, that's unique and, and special. This is how blessings work. We learn the lessons of life and then we pass them on to those who follow us. And it's how we should think about our lives. David speaks blessing to Solomon. Now, I want you to hear this again because when we think of blessing, we might also think of like something fluffy and, and wonderful and, and easy. And that's not what we hear, actually. It is the passing of a leadership baton, a passing of responsibility. It is actually a call up. And that's how legacies work too. It is a reminder that our lives matter and what we do matters and we shouldn't waste time and we shouldn't throw that away. David speaks blessing to Solomon and calls him up. It's not just fluff, it's challenge. Be strong and courageous, he says. These are almost directly the echoing the words of of, of Moses to Joshua in Joshua 1. Be strong and courageous and keep the charge of the Lord your God walking in his ways and keeping his statutes. You hear that call to responsibility. As Micah would say, to, to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. There's a real understanding here in a wisdom sense that it matters how you live. Now, it doesn't mean that every time you do good, you always get a good out, uh, outcome. Like sometimes we do good things and bad things still happen. Sometimes we do bad things and good things happen. But in the larger scope of things, how we live matters. 
And so it does matter that we follow God's guidance. And David passes that on to his son. There are a lot of verbs in that blessing. Verbs like observe and walk and keep and do and prosper. And so here we see the other side of legacy. It's not just those of of us who are passing it. It's also those of us who are receiving it. And each of us basically has that. We're being handed something, and then we're handing something off. Again, maybe we don't think of our lives in those generational terms, but shouldn't we? Because we're not just individuals, isolated individuals. So, so for example, in, in, in my family story, especially on my mom's side, uh, we, we come from generational poverty, alcoholism, drug abuse. And my mom, with the strength of her personality, it, it, we were going to break that cycle or she was going to break us. There was like no middle ground. But there was a lot of conversation about that. There was not shame around my grandfather's alcoholism. We talked about it and we understood it and were able to assimilate it and an understanding of how we were going to live our lives moving forward. And that's not always easy to do in family systems that have shame and secrecy. And we don't, you know, truthfully, you know, those legacies in our family continue. And part of my self-awareness is that I'm continuing to try to break those cycles. Uh, and, and so that's the other side of legacy. We're being handed something, but we're also, uh, we're handing something off. We're also being handed something. And uh, we're taking up the challenge to walk with God. Each one of us, it matters that we accept that challenge. And so Solomon takes up the mantle, the son of, of a man after God's own heart. And in many ways, this means Solomon starts in a different place than King David did. There's a whole, he, Solomon's been watching his dad be king. He's watched it play out. It's a reminder that the people are watching us. And so listen for how Solomon takes on David's legacy right from the start. This is famous about Solomon. This is where Solomon begins. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God asked, said, ask for whatever you want for me to give to you. And this is sort of almost like the classic genie in a bottle scenario, right? Like you get three wishes, what's your first wish, right? Seems a little bit like that. Solomon answered, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David. You see, he's talking about dad. He's picking up a legacy. Because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. See how he sees his father. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord, my God, you've made your servant king in place of my father David. Again, he sees his life in the lineage of God, what God's been doing through their family but I'm only a little child and don't know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So, so this, so give your servant a discerning heart. This is the request. He's asking for wisdom, the ability to, to navigate right and wrong, to navigate life's complexities, to distinguish between right and wrong for who is able to govern this people of yours. In the classic genie in the bottle scenario, almost nobody asks for wisdom. And this is what sets Solomon apart. And, and then there's this whole tradition in the Bible that comes out of that. The wisdom tradition, which is based on the idea that how you live matters. And there's, uh, that it's important to, to walk with God. 
Solomon admits that he doesn't know, which is actually pretty remarkable, right? It's a sign of maturity and wisdom early on in his life. He admits that he doesn't know. Anybody who's a leader knows that there's a lot of pressure to be the man with the plan, to be the one who knows, to come out strong and say, hey, here's what we're going to do. It doesn't have to be right. It just has to be confident. And Solomon begins in a very different place. He's like, I don't know. And if, and if God doesn't guide me, I'm going to be in trouble. This also, by the way, sounds a lot like Moses. You remember when Mo- Moses is about to go into the promised land and he's talking to God and God's like, you know, there's the question of whether God's going to go. And Moses is like, if you don't go, I'm not going. Right? And that's, that's how legacies work, too. We, got, we, we better start in that place of humility and recognize that we don't know, and if we don't have help, we're going to be in trouble. But there's the other side of this, too. There's a human side, but there's also the holy side. There's a recognition that if God is involved, there is a call up to something that is more than just getting through life. There is the rising to the occasion of his life. There is the accepting of a great responsibility and understanding that his life has meaning and purpose and destiny to it. And I wonder if we always have that. Part of not talking about our legacy is a shortcutting, a downplaying of how critical each of our lives are in God's plan. That we might fail to hear this call up. That maybe we ought to be more intentional about passing that on to the next generation, and we ought to be more intentional ourselves about taking it up. Solomon gets this from David. He talks about David's faithfulness, David's righteousness, his uprightness of heart. He says of David that, he, God, he walked before your face. Again, think of these in terms of what people will be saying about you. And twice he references God's Hesed, God's loving kindness over time, his faithfulness, his goodness in the, the bigger scope of things. Long, long faithfulness and promise keeping is what Hesed means. So Solomon sees his life in the bigger span of God's story. And this serves as a call up to be also a man after God's own heart with intensity and intentionality from his, from his dad and from God. So I wonder, as I sort of wrap up, I wonder in a fast food, microwave, short attention span culture where we don't, you know, really kind of, our, our, our way of thinking lasts about 15 minutes, you know, which is longer than the sermon, um, shorter than the sermon maybe. Um, in a fast food, microwave, short attention span culture, wouldn't it be revolutionary for us as God's people to think in generational terms? To really kind of acknowledge how life really is, that we've been handed something and that we will hand something off, and we had better hope it's blessing. Not just as isolated individuals, but more as a link in the chain of God's goodness through the generations. You know, I talked about funerals, which is kind of more, but I also do a lot of weddings. I'm not going to tell you which I'd prefer to do, a wedding or a funeral. Sometimes it's a, you know, toss-up. But... Um, 
you know, at a wedding, I think one of the challenges is also for them to think generationally because it's a very generational thing to do, right? To, to, to pledge love over a lifetime to someone, uh, very often to young people who haven't a clue what they're really saying yes to and have to figure it out as they go and kind of think they know and they're just so in love with each other. And the, the, the wedding moment can be so much about them, right? It's just the two of you, but it's not, is it? And so this, at a lot, I did a wedding yesterday, uh, and I said something similar to this yesterday. A lot of weddings, I say something like this. I talk about how uh, you're making promises to one another that are going to change you know, each one of your lives. And then I say this, the promises you make today are also a gift, not just to you, but, but to the people around you. The world becomes a different place anytime love becomes real in this world, lived out and embodied in people. Today, you're promising to bring love into the world. Love that helps the other person be who God intended them to be, and that is ultimately a gift to all of us. And perhaps to the generations that will follow you. What those, that cute little couple doesn't know is uh, that they're going to be grandparents perhaps one day, and, and their love's going to look different, and their legacy is going to be important. David laid strong foundations, not perfect foundations. It's important to say not a perfect life, but the sum of it all, the good and the bad and God's involvement in it was that what his family said about him was that he was a man after God's own heart. And so Solomon picks up that foundation and asks for God to be a part of guiding his life and his leadership. And it guides his rule as king. It becomes a whole tradition, as I said, based in this idea from, uh, from Proverbs 9. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Or from Proverbs 3, maybe you know this one. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. It's going to take a discerning spirit. It's going to take God's wisdom. But if you do this in all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll make your path straight. It doesn't mean every time we do good, good things happen, and we get derailed when, when bad things happen to good people. But we can stake a claim on the fact that it does matter how you live. And if God's involved in the equation, there is a a path to follow for each of us. And we should hear that call up. So today I invite you to ask for wisdom, to pick up that legacy from David yourself, and ask for wisdom in, in navigating your life in its complexities, to take up the challenge to be carrying the baton of leadership as the people of God, not just as individuals and not just in families, but also the church. Because part of the story of David we need to keep in view is the story of Israel, that God would have a people in this world that are blessed to be a blessing. And we as the church take that that call up as well. We as the church need to hear that we're those blessed to be a blessing to those around us, and this is our legacy ultimately. This morning as... um, we came to communion at 8.15. I was struck by those who came. We do communion every week at 8.15. And um, there, there was a couple who came up with their, their newborn baby for the first time. They brought him to church. And they struggled with infertility for years. And we prayed over that kiddo before he was ever in existence. And they walked up with him uh, to the story of Jesus and the body and the blood for the first time. And then and just a few people back was one of our saints, one of our older ladies, who has navigated a lot of 
you know, trials and is, is currently doing so, showing up to bring her life before God yet again, Sunday after Sunday. And it's like, there it is. This is what we do. This is who we are. So I invite you to see yourself, to kind of feel the weight of that today and to accept the legacy of being a child of God, but also one who's called to be blessed, to be a blessing. And uh, so we're going to ask for wisdom today. And to do that, we're going to pray the serenity prayer. Um, Some of you will know this. And when we pray it, we pray the full version of that. So there's the part that's sort of famous and is on people's walls, you know, the first part. And then there's the fuller part. So we're going to put it on the screen. I'm going to invite you to pray this with me, to pray it out loud, and to apply it to something. So think about where you need wisdom, where you would say, gosh, if God's not in this, I'm not going to be able to do it. Uh, And I'm sure that's probably not hard. There's probably something right now where you feel that. Uh, And so um, as we pray this, would you make this prayer your own? And then we'll give him the offering. Let's pray together. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as the pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, Trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will. That I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. Amen. Thank you for that. I'm going to invite our ushers forward as we uh, give. And as you do, um, I want to thank you for the ways in which your gifts sustain our life together. Uh, I want to thank you for the hope that we bring that actually it does matter how we live and what, you know, what we do and, and what we offer up is used as part of what God's doing in the world somehow. And as we mentioned at the beginning of the service, the, the dollar difference offering uh, for today only as the fifth Sunday of, of the month is for game changers. And um, that started during the time of the racial reckoning, trying to figure out how to navigate that complexity. And this scholarship was born uh, out, out, of that, uh, out of that effort with a lot of community conversation. Uh, so that we've had, um, we've had four or five now uh, folks who have received uh, in the education system scholarships to further their education, people of color who have been able to kind of take the next level. They've already, you know, most of them had, had their bachelor's degree, but then go to the next level with a master's degree and to kind of take on a leadership role in a different way and has m- made that happen. And so the, the Game Changer Scholarship has been the main way, the main outcome of that. Uh, out of that effort and out of that time. So uh, if you want to give to that, this is a chance for you to support, uh, support that uh, and then in your regular offerings to continue to pour into our life together. So let's pray together. God, thank you for the, these folks who've gathered faithfully in your name, the people of Jesus. And as we sang, Jesus, we love you. And we do think it matters that we get together and we say that to you and in the presence of one another, and that we hear your call to see our lives in light of your fuller story in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of the Son of God. And so we say yes to his call today to see our lives from his perspective, to say yes to his call to come follow me, 
And so may these gifts and may our affection, may our prayers and our songs, may the desires of our hearts all align so that in the week ahead, we each might walk with you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.